So first, thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Um, it's funny. I feel like I always want to give a little bit of context to the listeners of how we know each other. And the truth is we met what once or twice. I think yes. it was once. And it was in New York about four years ago. Obviously, we have a mutual friend. Shout out, Trevor. Um, and since we met, I kind of just been like rooting for you from afar and just kind of following you. I reached out to you and you said you were willing. I was so freaking excited. So thank you and welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. So usually I just kind of start off by giving the guest like the opportunity to just like loosely introduce themselves, your name, your age, like where you're from and what you do, really anything you want to share. Yeah. Um, so my name is Melissa Barto. I am 26 years old and I'm from Kennesaw, Georgia, which in other words, is about 40 minutes Northwest Atlanta because no one's heard of Kennesaw. So, um, but yeah, I live in New York city now and have ever since 2015, pretty much since I came here for college, I went to NYU. And so what are you doing now post-grad? Um, I mean, it's a very complicated, twisting, long, lengthy story if we just want to like kind of get into it from the start or that's probably the best way. So yeah, let's just, let's start there. Um, I guess we can start by just kind of diving into want date, which is your date spread company. Um, and just kind of the inception of that. My dad's very entrepreneurial. I grew up watching shows like Shark Tank. Um, I was a really creative kid and also a very picky eater growing up. Um, but played a ton of sports and was super active. And when I came to New York City for college, it was actually really with the intent of wanting to come here and like be a completely different person and like start working and live this new big cool life I I vividly remember walking around high school when we were like 16 and thinking I do not belong here with all of this conformity and not into it um so yeah I only applied to schools for college that were in LA and and New York City actually um wound up at NYU as soon as I got here I started working I immediately was in the retail store like anthropology and I was interning at 17 magazine um thinking I wanted to do something in creativity and like in business um like like be a creative director at like one of those magazines like very gossip girl devil wears Prada oh my gosh New York kind of thing um but immediately as soon as I started doing that, I was not into the vibes of conformity, again, in a corporate environment where you sit at a desk and you go along to get along and low-key everyone hates each other and wants each other's job. I wasn't feeling it. Um, so yeah, by the end of my freshman year, which was actually in NYU, there's a school called the Gallatin School of Individualized Study. It's a small program um, and quite literally you make your own major in it. So it's for kids essentially have a lot of interests and they want to combine multiple areas of study. So you'll have kids do things in computer programming and science and like tech and graphic design and become a video game major. Like anything goes there. It's actually pretty cool. So um, they let, they give you a lot of freedom and how you pick your class courses and design your course of study. And I, 
blended everything I could in the business school with anything I could in the arts school. So for example, like you need a science credit to graduate. And I did intro to web design and coding, thinking in my head, oh yeah, this will be helpful if I ever make a website one day for a company, that kind of thing. And after this whole corporate failure situation experience, I started leading towards looking for internships and opportunities that were in smaller businesses. By the end of my sophomore year, I was still like, what can I do? And I remember being at home this summer leading into my junior year, trying to get ahead of the game, looking at internships on NYU's career page. And the first thing that pops up was this coconut cream startup. So I thought, perfect. Like at this point, I got very healthy in my own life. Having been in New York for two years, I you know, gave up dairy. That was when nut milks were all of a sudden the coolest trend. Um, veganism was the trend. I wasn't totally vegan, but basically was just running and doing yoga and really got super healthy um, over the course of those two years. And I thought it, this was perfect. Personal interest, business, whatever. So I reached out to the people who posted it, um, got it. I was going to be a marketing intern for this girl who was the founder. And the next day she reaches out to me and she's like, hey, change of plans. I know your school starts in a month, but uh, we're going to launch our soft serve at this thing called Smorgasburg. It's a food festival. Any chance you could get to New York by next weekend and like help? And I was just sitting at home in Georgia for the summer. So I was like, sure. Got in my dad's car, drove up to like stay with my cousins in Jersey and wound up commuting in and out of the city to help quite literally this guy and this girl they'd known each other for like a month, decided to launch this coconut cream startup ice cream. They were in a basement of a 16 handles the day I met them, renting out some old machine. They didn't know how to use it. I wound up being the only person who knew how to like, just by figuring it out and determination and some common sense. I was the only one who could rework the machine, do a pretty swirl, logistically just think like hey like how isn't this gonna melt like what's your plan here they didn't have one so I kind of wound up making it alongside them honestly I loved it like I was thriving in this like make it work do it yourself situation I felt like every day when I would walk into Smorgasburg like I felt like a basketball player like walking onto the court at game time and I was like let's, let's go like I loved it the energy um the entrepreneurialism is just so fun but school started and summer was coming to an end quit that but immediately started working at a smoothie and acai bowl shop started enrolling in any class i could to take advantage of potentially starting my own business and one of those classes was actually called crowdfunding for kickstarter and i know that's the weirdest thing ever but this is nyu for you so the whole premise of the class was that you would come in figure out a business idea spend the whole semester drafting, filming, and writing a Kickstarter campaign for it. And that would be your final project. And when I signed up for this class, I kid you not, I didn't know what I was getting into or what I was going to do. But in my head, I was thinking, whatever this is, like, I'm really going to start it. One day when I was at work, or I guess over the course of some time, being at work at the SI Bowl shop and having started this class, we had all these weird toppings at the shop. So we had a Nutella bowl. We 
we're putting apple butters and pumpkin butters on all of these now fall themed bowls. We put white chocolate on a bowl, peanut butter, almond butter. We had everything topping wise, all the fruits you could imagine, but not a single thing was made with dates. So it came to mind, like there should be a date butter, maybe a way to like replace Nutella. Like it can be a chocolate date butter and we would drizzle it on the bowls. We could blend it in it. Like that'd be cool. And then I thought I could do that for my project. So I went to Whole Foods, got a bag of dates, ordered a food processor off of Amazon, went in my dorm room, blended dates with water and cinnamon and chocolate and or cocoa. I would bring the jars of that to my friends at work at the Acaibal shop, and they all thought it was cool and awesome. So I was totally set on now doing this for this project. So I filmed this Indiegogo campaign when I was um, at home for Thanksgiving break. Two of my friends were in it. And used it for the final project that semester and hit post. And as soon as I like hit post, that was my way of saying, all right, there's essentially no turning back. Literally from that moment on, I I dedicated all of my free time to researching. I mean, I would, I just Googled everything. Like I Googled my way to this entire business. I spent my entire junior year getting it off the ground while I was in school and officially launched my Squarespace website in the fall of 2018. It was August 2018. Uh, Do you have any questions at this point in the story? (laughs) I mean, it sounds like basically you were primed for this, like from your background of having a dad who was entrepreneurial in spirit and kind of knowing that you wanted to go somewhere for school, like New York or L.A., it sounds like your vision changed, but even from that internship when you were helping the couple get their business off of the ground, like it feels like you've always kind of been a self-starter. So no, that was a very um, detailed timeline. I'm curious, at what point after you launched your business, did you go on to Shark Tank? Was it still premature when you applied? Was it more established? So being a lifelong Shark Tank fan, I'm sure that the day of, if not the day of, it was the day after I launched my Squarespace that I went to Shark Tank's website and applied. Um, They just quite literally have an open application every single day of the year on their site. Uh, I guess ongoing rolling. I don't really know the details behind the scenes, but you can go on there and apply right now if you have a startup. And I did that thinking nothing of it really. And in the spring of the next year, I remember it was probably uh, April or March and I was getting on the subway and someone's calling me from California and I answered the phone, but I couldn't hear her because of the connection. So I was like, can you just call me back? And the next day they called me back. It was a, she's hi, my name is so-and-so I'm from Shark Tank. We saw your application. So just like wanted to know a little bit more about your business. And like, all right, let me tell you about my business and just started shooting my shot. And you know, hyped it up. I was like, yeah, I started it when I was in school, blah, 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 the date spread. It's in a bunch of cafes now. I like take it around. And the process started from there. Um, And it was like a huge process. All reality TV is a huge process. Things are a lot more transparent nowadays, I guess, with social media. Like we know a lot more about how people get casted on shows because, you know, they talk about it on their social media platforms. But this is 2018. So um, I had no idea what I was getting into, but basically from April, May, and June, I spent roughly three months just going back and forth every week with these people who were 
um, producers for the show, they would just ask me very like top line basic stuff at first. And then as weeks went on, it got nittier and grittier, like, all right, now send us your finances, like all of this due diligence kind of paperwork, you know, send us your LLC for like documents. Your were these all things value. you already had in order or were you kind of like no. accumulating them? Like it kind of feels like it was like helping you get your shit in order as you went because you applied so prematurely, which is like a great thing, but it's also like a sink or swim, which again, it feels like you just roll with the punches. And yeah, I just could not even imagine going through that process, but also figuring out your finances, getting the paperwork in order alongside of this interview application process. Yeah. Part of the reason they do that is like they, so anyone who goes on the show and that you see on TV has gone through all of this, like it's kind of a primer because after you go on the show, you, if you make a deal, ultimately you have to give all of this information to the shark. Cause they're going to ask for it. Like your finances, your due diligence, like, is this person like low key, they're criminals. And like, like they ask for your criminal record. You know what I mean? Like they need all this stuff after the fact potentially. So yeah, they ask it for all of you up front or all of it up front as well as more because we started, there's the business aspects to a show like shark tank, but it's a show. So honestly, casting, like making it entertaining is really the work we were doing together, the producers and I. So every week it was like we started writing a script out of a pitch and we would email, I would email it back and forth. They'd ask me to refine it, cut it. It needs to be shorter. Like, let's make a cooler intro, like things like that. Ultimately we refined the pitch. Then it was, okay, film yourself doing it. And I would film it like kind of act out motion wise. Like if I was going to like, like on the show, if you saw it, I kind of rip a curtain off. So we would film stuff and I would send it to them. They'd be like, Oh, you need to be peppier at this point. Like talking too fast right there. Um, stuff like that. So ultimately we were doing this for almost three months at any point in the process. They tell you, you could just be cut completely, like just dropped. But every week they kept following up with me and it was going really well. They didn't even like, you you know you're good but you don't know you're good until your flight is booked which i finally got my flight booked like two weeks before actually flying out so i'm like i am going to la whoops drop my phone i'm going to la to film this is sick and even then though once you're there you're still not guaranteed to like actually pitch and then let alone actually get on tv because they set it up in a way where they ship everyone out for, I would say, for Shark Tank, you might see 30 to 40 pitches on TV. And they accept and film like 300 for every season, roughly. So, wow. yeah. Um, there's very low chance that you actually air on TV. Um and because of how many they film, it's like a like rotating thing of pitches. So the Sharks commit to being out in LA for like a week. Um, they fly all of us out. And the days they're filming, it's just a pitch after a pitch after a pitch after a pitch, like so fast. And if the day wraps and you were supposed to pitch that day, but for whatever reason, someone's took like two hours sorry like you don't get to get you know so that happened to some people out there um they didn't actually even get the chance to pitch after having been flown to LA 
And then tons of people. I know so many that I met actually pitched and they just didn't make it to TV like I did. Do you know what they look for when they choose which pitches to air and which to nix? Um, they definitely, at that point, it's all about entertainment. Um, really, the finance and due diligence stuff is just to give the sharks after the fact. And everything else is about making TV entertaining. So I feel like every season you probably see a balance of like men, females, and kids. Um rough balance of yeses and nos um i mean mine was pretty dramatic to say the least so i i also know that now too after the fact but didn't know this beforehand the sharks have a decent say too in what does air um like if a shark closes their deal for real after the fact they have some influence with producers about what'll air um yeah, politics behind it. So yeah. So I know you obviously put a lot of thought into your valuation. So can you tell us what deal you were seeking when you went in and what deal you left with and just kind of reveal like the shark that you made a deal with and maybe any sharks that you were hoping to make a deal with when you were going into the tank? Yeah, I made a deal. Well, so I went into the tank um, with the offer of $100,000 for 20% of the company which I thought was very fair. I wasn't saying that from a greedy standpoint based on my finances at the time. Um, honestly, I was hoping Mr. Wonderful would make it. Really? <laughs> what an unpopular opinion. Really? I love him. He's cool. Um, I guess he's a little bit polarizing. I feel like he's the, just like the, the grumpy grandpa, but like, if you get mm -hmm. his humor and you like a straight shooter, then yeah, sure. I do. I really love a straight shooter. I think he's yeah. hilarious. And then I know he's like a wine guy and wanted dates great on a charcuterie board. So True. I thought there'd be some synergies there. And I know he like is a Costco dude. So I liked Mr. Wonderful the best. And like the idea of Lori for QVC things, because it'd be great demonstrable on TV like I did on the tank. Um, I like Mark Cuban. Yeah. Like, honestly, I would have said yes to anybody. For sure. For sure. Uh, anyone. Yeah. Selfishly, I'm happy with Mark Cuban. I love him. Like, you know, the question people are like, if you could have dinner with three people, like past, present, future, like who would it be? I'd be like, Mark Cuban would easily be. Really? Yes. I find him also a straight shooter. Um, I love his like sarcasm and I think he has no problem putting people in their place, but I think He's just a really cool and normal dude and it's just like super well-rounded and I don't know. I just love like listening to interviews with him. Um, but so yeah, spoiler. So Mark Cuban is who you ended up making a deal with, right? And what was spoiler. the, what was the deal exactly? Uh, so he wound up doing, we did a hundred thousand dollars for 33% of the company. Got it. Okay. That's awesome. Now you said when you were talking before how like, the sharks can have pull if like a deal actually goes through afterwards. So after the deal is kind of solidified in the moment, then obviously the shark has the um, liberty to kind of go through the company and the finances and compare notes, make sure everything checks out before they actually like provide the funding and everything. Right. So what you see on TV is a handshake deal. It's it means nothing at all. 
um, anything and everything can change after that. So I know people who made a handshake deal for something on TV and never heard from their shark again. I know people who made a handshake deal on TV and after the fact, the tur- like the percentages and equity, everything, whatever you saw on TV, verbally exchange, the papers said something else in the deal finalization. So yeah, what happens on TV is just, I mean, think about it. These people don't know us. The sharks don't know us or the business. Like they didn't know if I had a hundred thousand followers on Instagram when we made that deal or a thousand. Um, there's just so much you don't get to touch on in a 30 to 40 minute conversation when you're in the tank. So after the fact, they start seeing the real true nuances and details and everything about your business. They're team goes through all of this stuff not really the shark so much so the lawyers go through it financial analysts go through it everyone and i did close my deal that you saw on tv um hundred thousand dollars for 33 percent like that um we made that handshake deal actually in the in june 2019 it was when i pitched we closed it in november of 2019 like that's how long the process takes of all of that yeah So what are some other interesting or maybe funny like behind the scene facts or experiences on Shark Tank that people maybe wouldn't expect? Um, So yeah, like I said, I was in the tank for longer than what you saw on TV. Of course, TV, you might see two and a half minutes and some commercials, but I was in there with them for 40-ish minutes. Although it felt like two seconds, but after the fact, I was like, how long was I in there? And the producers were like, "Eh, 40 minutes. Um... Also, when you're in there, it's so chaotic. Everyone is talking over each other, every single shark. It's almost kind of insulting because I'm like, what is going on? Like, they're all just talking to and at each other at the same times. And I'm like standing there thinking, you could talk to me about my business and your opinion instead of just like asking oh, each like other. like whispering to each other? So it's like- No, talking a lot. Well, think about it. So they're all mic'd. So when they air the TV segment, they turn different mics on and off take things different it could be cut honestly in so many ways what you see on tv so i was confused in the tank when this was happening but after the fact i guess it makes sense like you just put the camera angle on one person and turn off everyone else's mics and that's what goes on tv you know what i'm saying so that happened everyone's talking over each other i mean there were straight up points where two sharks would be talking and they're like, wait, wait, let's just ask her. And I'm like, thank you. And I would like answer the question. (laughs) Like, it's funny. Um, But they all liked it. Um, My segment was really accurate to what did go down in the tank. Um, Barbara kind of gave me a little insult if you've seen it sort of. And I was at that point, I'm thinking to myself, like, why are we talking about my dad? Yes. So for those that haven't watched. She said that you are like supported by your dad and that's why she wouldn't want to invest because she feels like your back's not up against the wall and maybe you're not as hungry or motivated because you maybe don't have as much to lose as somebody else, right? Is that the gist? Two parts to comment on that. One, as that's happening, and yes, that's what she said. um, She goes, I, she goes, I'm not investing because you have the support of your father. Um, basically as a safety net behind you and your rent is paid and whatever. But when she said that, it's just, first of all, I just spent four months basically in my life trying to get to this point. Like 
pitch, like writing those pitches, doing all the new the um, due diligence I had to do, like flying to LA, spending like $300 on groceries and sprouts the day before and making all of this food. Like there's just so much that you put into your heart and soul and the business and then to get to here. And we're like standing there talking about my family. And I was so like mind blown. Then after the fact, it starts to make more sense. Like besides having mics on them, they all have earpieces. And no doubt in my hindsight mind, I know a producer probably said to her or to a shark in the earpiece, like, Hey, someone ask her about her dad. Cause these producers knew everything about my life. They knew my dad was like my best friend, my inspiration, my like the guy who was like believing in me starting this business. They knew all of that. And they thought it was so cool. And like, they totally pulled that like string by saying, hey, like say something about her dad. My guess is Barbara knew she wasn't going to invest. So instead of just simply saying she was out, you know, it's for TV. So she's making it entertaining. So she says something like that because ultimately they're just sitting there talking to each other, over each other, having a good time, getting paid to do it. Yeah, they could close a deal if they want to. And then after the fact, put some actual thoughts behind it. Their people will do all the stuff because it means nothing. Ultimately, it means nothing. They're literally there like just having a good time and making money and being entertaining for TV. So yeah, they definitely knew which button to push. Yes, they did. The one thing you just mentioned there that I wanted to go back to, you said you spent like $300 the day before making all this food. So I watched one of your YouTube videos where you explained that all of the food that you served during your pitch for the sharks to show all the different ways that you can use your date spread. So what did you prepare? I think it was like an overnight oat situation, right? You had like pancakes with um, the, the date spread drizzled. You had an acai bowl. You had like a banana and date spread sandwich, right? Right. Am I missing yeah. anything? Um, acai bowl with chocolate date spread, overnight oats with vanilla date spread, uh, cinnamon date spread and banana sandwich bacon with cinnamon date spread and i believe that was it but at the time yeah i did that very like strategically too i was thinking in my head as a marketer this is my one chance if anything besides the sharks this is my chance to talk to millions of people about date spread and how they can use it so i tried to show how versatile it is Exactly. Like I was talking to America through all of that stuff I was putting there instead of just giving them all like a jar of spreads and a spoon to taste. What's wild to me is when you talked about the fact that you were literally finishing all of the (laughs) final touches on this, this spread that you were about to serve like moments before walking into the tank. I didn't even know you made, I didn't even know the people made the food. Like it was all on you, let alone that you're like, hustling like that in a like in itself is a misconception and fun fact it gets even crazier because like there's not a kitchen in this giant stony lot i had to buy like kettles like you know when you make pancakes you can buy one of those like stovetop things that sit on a counter yeah, i had like to a, buy a that or i had to buy blenders i had to ship all of this stuff my entire display and every display you see in a pitch on shark tank is made or bought put together and paid for by the entrepreneurial team, all of it. So every banner, I made it, shipped it from, you know, the production printing place to LA. 
um, bought all that food while I was there, had a whole suitcase just full of various things. Um, yeah, so people put a lot. Some people, as you could tell, put a lot of money into like that display. But again, it's your one shot at being on TV. So yeah, that's crazy. So I definitely want to talk about kind of life after sealing the deal because I feel like a lot of people think you go on Shark Tank and especially if you make a deal with the shark, your life is quote unquote forever changed and you have like this close relationship with the shark and your product is then put in to like on the shelves and stores and it just kind of soars from there. Um, but you gave some statistics in like your YouTube videos um, and like you kind of how mentioned sales might like skyrocket maybe on the day that the episode releases or is put on again as like a rerun on TV and then kind of goes back to normal. But just generally, can you just explain how your life did or didn't change once you walked out of the tank? So in my situation, as soon as I walked out of the actual tank, um, the adrenaline is beyond high. Uh, you get golf carted really quick out of there because they have to start the next pitch. Um, and they take you to a room. You do kind of talking head interviews where they prompt you questions about how does it feel? And you just kind of talk so they could use them later. And then after that, they send you back to your dressing room trailer. And they kind of leave you for a minute. And then a therapist actually comes in, um, which you don't even know is going to happen until it does. And you're quite literally forced to sit there with a therapist for 40 minutes to an hour because they need to make sure you're like, okay. And I mean, I they were probably really worried about me since I had just been crying in there <laughs> um, when they insulted my me and my dad's situation. And uh, I remember talking to her kind of about how upset it made me she's like how did it make you feel and I'm just like I mean I thought it was bullshit like why is she asked me about my dad why she did all of this and you start coming back to the reality of the moment when they kind of calm you down and your adrenaline starts wearing off um and after you finish talking to the therapist a representative I mean this is what happened to me at least one of the guys who works for Mark Cuban came in he was like hey how you doing like congrats on the deal um He's like, we'll follow up. Obviously, we have more filming to do. You're going to you know, fly back to New York. But here's my card. He gave me his business card. Uh, he's like, look out for an email from us at some point. I don't remember how long it took, but it's just so weird because at that point, you go back to normal life. You're not allowed to tell anybody what just happened. The only human who knew I was in LA was my dad. So... I mean, sometimes you see couples on TV, husbands and wives or whatever. You're not allowed to tell anybody. My mom didn't know I was there. My brothers didn't know I was there. Only me and my dad knew that I'd gone to LA because I had to have like one emergency contact. So no one had any idea besides that. And I went back to normal life. My dad knew, but from there, I just went back. I was working at like Avocadoria at the time. Then I was done with school. I just graduated um, and running my business and didn't hear from them for a while. Maybe a month later I did. They started asking for more due diligence. It's just so weird to live in that kind of universe where you have this crazy secret and you can't tell anybody about it. And it's also not even real because we didn't close the deal till November. So I spent the whole summer back and kind of got depressed 
because I didn't know if we were going to close. I didn't, you don't know if you're going to air too. So, so are you they holding tell- out, are you holding out on being able to tell people for when the deal closes or for when the episode airs? When you air. So like, okay, so there's a world where you close the deal and it actually went through, but it never airs on TV. So you can never tell yes. people about it. Yes. So I, yeah. So some, there, there's a lot of investments out there that close the deal and they just never made it on TV though. It's weird. I wonder what With percentage my... of that is though, because why would a shark even want to invest? I mean, I guess this goes back to you saying sharks have pull of what airs because obviously they have a large incentive to get their deals on TV so that their products can sell and they can make their money back. But like, why wouldn't a successful deal air on TV? That's a theoretical question. I know that's not for your <laughs> answering, but well, just by- times have changed too, because back then he would probably close deals with prospective, like promising businesses. But now it's all just like a TV marketing play, like with Instagram and stuff now, like everyone who goes on Shark Tank is really just doing it for the publicity, pub- publicity. They don't, want to close a deal honestly because the terms suck like the sharks have so much power and they don't negotiate they do what they want and they say like okay i don't need you you know what i mean like 100 percent. so it, the, the times have changed so but back then um yeah we closed my deal in november and i think the way we were talking and emailing we were gonna close um but it takes a long time. There's so much, I mean, it's lawyers and it's very complicated, but it kind of got rushed because then we found out I was going to air. They give you a two week notice if you are going to air. That is it. It's like a copy and pasted email from producers. The sharks being sharks have some leeway. So at one point, one of Mark's guys is like, Hey, I think like, I think there's a solid chance you might be airing in the first half of the season. If so, like, can you really like rush send us like these things so we can close the deal fast? And like, he's like, Oh, wait, wait, like false alarm. And then like a week later, he's like, okay, actually you're gonna, and (laughs) we closed the deal um, before airing. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of times too, the sharks kind of just hold off until they find out though, because there's no point in some of them investing in businesses. He actually liked wanted it. You know what I mean? So he did close the deal, but other stuff, unless it's going to, get the TV buck from airing, they don't care to close the deal. So when the episode aired, and I'm sure you had an influx of orders, were you from a logistical standpoint, like ready to fulfill these orders? Or was it like a scramble to kind of be able to handle this influx of like operations and orders that needed to get sent out? I knew that guy in Dixon, Tennessee, making my date spreads would (laughs) not be able to like make that many jars based off because I'd been at his facility for all the production runs and stuff. They were hand pouring. It was like a food safe facility, but like such a small like operation. And I knew I needed a big, what we call co-packing facility to do it. So I started getting my ducks in a row over the course of the summer before knowing I was going to air just in case and move production to a new place um, in Maryland where, you know, they could make hundreds of thousands of jars in a day. And as soon as I knew I was going to air, I placed this huge PO. I mean, we don't know how many orders we're going to get. So you kind of have to go in blind based off feelers and advice from the Sharks team. I don't know. Um, I, but yeah, so I, I, I was able to have all of the stuff. It 
there was a lot of delays just because my new co-packing partner, long story short, like it was a horrible situation where there were delays in production. The show aired. We had product made, but it was like too running. And at the time, I had to quickly hire what we call a 3PL, a third-party logistics company, to ship all of these orders that were going to come in at one time. I couldn't do it myself. Uh, so I hired this 3PL I never really met. Mark suggested them. I had the co-packing guy send all the spreads straight from the facility in Maryland to the 3PL, so I didn't physically see them. But apparently they were all too runny. This 3PL starts shipping them out and I'm learning this through customer emails coming in saying, Hey, what's up with this date spread or Hey, this jar, my whole package came broken. Like, what is this? I'd see pictures they would send me and the three PL was straight up packing them with like, like newspaper, like tissue paper. And I'm like, dude, I just set up this whole plan and thought I was paying for you to do this all in bubble wrap. Like, all this, it was it was really, really bad. Everything that could go wrong basically did with all the jars either being broken or shitty quality. I, I would say maybe 15 to 20% of the orders were actually like happy customers getting a spread that was kind of thick and not broken. And That's being like, wow, that was great. Because yeah. it's obviously so out of your control. Um, yeah. I know at one point you were shipping a lot of the packages and sending them out from your house so was this before or after was this a point where you were like i'm taking this back into my own hands or great question exactly what happened so as soon as the shark tank chaos simmered down first like it was damage control it was like as soon as i found out the way orders were being shipped i was like to the 3pl stop bubble wrap like look at this shit and like sending them pictures so they kind of had to at that point and like but then it became this whole finance situation of like all the i mean at this point they just ruined my shark tank airing all these orders that i had to refund so it, there was a lot of lawsuits with both companies um over time but yeah i finished out the chaos of shark tank orders once it was caught up basically i said send ever and this is actually too like make the situation better at this point it's like february march and covid is hitting so new york city is starting to shut down i was like just send me all my inventory back all this good inventory like i told them just leave and throw away the runny shit like i was like i just can't take it they wouldn't pay me back for it i was like i don't want it just throw it away then as i was trying to like sue them for the money back send me what's good they sent me what's good to this warehouse space i was running in brooklyn I started shipping everything myself again, correctly, shaking and weighing and doing anything I could to figure out if the jar was decently thick inside of spread without actually being able to open it and look. I wound up getting a really solid method of like how it sounded when I shook it, if it swooshed a certain way. And obviously I would weigh it to know if the net weight was the correct ounce because some of the jars were underfilled. It was just as bad as it could be, it was. So I started doing that. And that was actually my life throughout the entire pandemic. So when New York City fully shut down, 
my dad and my brother drove up from Georgia in a U-Haul and we put all of my date spreads in the U-Haul van and a bunch of my like packing boxes and tape drove back to Georgia. The world was shut down. I spent the whole summer of the pandemic through that fall, the entire year of lockdown, living in that, not living in the garage, but shipping out of that garage, living at home with my brothers. And I mean, business was still really busy because at the point, this is when Amazon acquired Whole Foods, everyone was ordering everything online. I was getting, despite Shark Tank being long and gone, like 300 orders a day and hand packing every single one myself. My brother would help me out. I hired him. That was my life. I would get up at the like 5 a.m. and go on like a run to kind of like get myself going for the day. And I'd be at sunrise, done with that, getting in the garage, putting on my headphones, listening to like a podcast or something and just start packing orders until 5 before 5 p.m. when the post office is going to close. And I fill the trunk up, drive it there. We have to do a couple of trips sometimes, just fill my car with orders and drop them all off, come back, answer customer emails, everything that was going on in my own inbox with like, you know, business, marketing, product I have on Amazon, having to get fulfilled, production, sharks asking questions, trying to get into retailers, and then just like die at the end of the day and do it all again. Yeah, I mean, for a one-woman show, that just sounds insane. And the pandemic was hard enough on the normal people, just the average person not trying to manage a business, a new business that has an influx of new orders and new faces and new customer reviews coming online alongside a logistical nightmare. Like I can't even imagine. I guess my question is at this point, was there ever a thought in your head where you were like, I just wish I never even went on this damn show. Like I just wish I kept it small. I wish I tried to get into like local retailers. Um, or were you still kind of seeing big picture and just like really thankful throughout all of the hardship you had just recently went through? I was just learning the reality. Um, I mean, I remember the lawsuits, those kinds of things go on a long time. So that was still ongoing. You know, I remember even saying to Mark Cuban over email at one point, like when he said, ah, just drop it. Like, who cares? Like, it's not worth all these legal fees. And I thought, this is literally $100,000 worth of inventory, aka this is worth your entire investment, like everything I just like gave 33% away for like, business is just so expensive to run. At that point, yeah, I I mean, I was like, also thinking to myself, all this advice you've given me is fucking sucks. <laughs> like, the 3PL that happened, now you're just telling me to drop a lawsuit, like, this is my business. I don't know. I just at this point wanted everything in my own hands and did what I thought. I started doing what I thought was best. My mission kind of became figuring out a better way to pack it and ship it that someone else could do it. Cause I, I also just needed a better manufacturing partner and I'd gotten one at this point, but I was still scared to give up oversight of seeing every single jar that went out and knowing it was okay after like the PTSD of what I just went through. I mean, I saw every single jar that went out and packed it. I knew it was all okay. Customers were thrilled. Customers were thrilled. Like, despite all the shit that happened, I had answered every customer email that came in. I mean, ever. I've never hired someone else to answer a single email. So when my inbox blew up after Shark Tank with compliments from 
people saying, screw Barbara, you're awesome, placing an order now to like all the bad stuff of people saying, my jar just arrived broken. If you don't refund me, I'm going to tweet Mark Cuban. Like you imagine it, it came in. I responded to all of it with like XO Melissa, like this is me, I will help you. Or like, thank you so much. It means so much to me. And I still do that to this day. Like it's me answering every email because those are my customers. Um, that was the one thing I've never outsourced, but I needed to get rid of packing, shipping, someone I could trust to do it correctly and know that whoever's making my products, like they can send me a few samples of production and I know the rest of the jars are good. But I still went, I've been to every single production run since I've started the business, except for the last 18 months with a company I've now worked with for over two and a half years. I do finally trust, like you cannot trust anybody when it comes to your own business, if you want something done right, you do it yourself, you oversee it, like you take control of it. Now, it's all good. This all came about piecing together in right when the world started reopening, because that was when I wanted to change my life. I wanted I needed to get out of this garage. I had become a total shell of myself, like kind of became my identity in a way. But at the same time, no one knew the reality of what had just gone down all those months after the tank and how much I hated my life. <laughs> but like, you don't say that to people on Instagram. You just like hype up the product and like, well, it is an awesome product too. But like, no one needs to know all the shit behind the business necessarily. You know, that's not what life is about. Like my story was and truly is like a cool entrepreneurial one. Cause like, I do believe in my product entirely. And everything you saw on Shark Tank, like really is true and who I am and like failure is when you quit. And like, clearly I haven't quit yet, which is whacked. <laughs> you have to be like psychotic to start a company, I swear. Well, this, yeah, I mean, all of that insight I think is so important because I think starting a business and entrepreneurship is so glamorized and really people don't understand all of the blood, sweat, and tears and trial and error that go on behind the scenes. And in your case, being so young and being thrusted into this company on a larger scale via Shark Tank and being forced to figure these things out on your own while also getting mentorship from people that weren't necessarily on the ground with you running the company, like they weren't overseeing the day-to-day -day operations. They were probably making decisions that weren't the best for the company simply because they didn't know. But who are you to push back when you are young and vulnerable and wanting to trust a, you know, a shark like Mark Cuban or whoever it was, like a mentor that is supposedly like more um, experienced and supposed to be pointing you in the right direction. But I think at the end of the day, you learned the really, really difficult way that you have a gut feeling and even if you're young and inexperienced like you still should be following that gut um but it's just a shame that you had to go through all of those struggles and a lot of the struggles alone because half the time you couldn't tell someone or anyone about what was going on behind the scenes and you know add on covid and being in lockdown and running this business from your garage i couldn't even imagine um these days, how have you been able to find balance between want to date and living a life outside of that? Because you kind of mentioned how the company became your identity. It was really hard to separate the two. So how have you kind of found Melissa again and 
what you like to do and what your life looks like outside of this date spread company? Yeah. Yeah. I had to separate from the business mentally. Cause like I was, if one day was failing one day, I felt like a failure and like, I couldn't do that anymore. Um, cause business is up and down every day. So when I came back to New York, I, I moved back to New York. I, I knew I didn't want to live with my parents and my brothers being my only friends in the South for the rest of my life. I wanted back to be back in New York. So I did. And my like way of making rent was I immediately started um, training to become a Pilates instructor. Uh, and I was like, yeah, cool. I'll teach like, you know, four to six classes a day and then work on the business the other hours of the day. Um, and while I found a huge passion for it, like, oh my God, it was a reformer Pilates company called SLT. They like sent me to the Hamptons. I was teaching Pilates out there. I was managing their studios. But I, for the first time in my life, this was so key is I was living in the Hamptons and every week, like all of these, like I met so many instructors that I'd worked for the same company, but you teach class alone. So I didn't really know, know them, but now we were like living in this house together and I made friends with all of them. And every, I made so many friends that had the best time. And it's all these like-minded people who also love fitness and Pilates and we'd hang out and we'd go to the beach and I got this huge network. And after the summer, I didn't want to lose that because finally I had a life again that was a hundred percent outside of one date. I still did want to date in my free time. And like everyone knew about it. They all thought it was the coolest thing. And we'd eat date spreads at the house. Like, but now I had balance in my life finally. And I needed and wanted that. And I didn't want to just teach anymore because that was kind of isolating. I wanted to be this in this management role where I literally have to deal and manage people all day long. But I love to do that because I love people and connecting with people, especially like-minded people around fitness or health or food. So um, ever since that summer, I've continued this career path that I so much love. I now work for a company called New York Pilates and I manage a studio in the city for them and I'm continuing to grow with them and develop people every day and like coach them and hype them up about like you know filling classes and like we work out together I mean life is so good and different than it was two to three years ago that's so good to hear so do you foresee keeping this balance in the future when you think about one a day and your vision going forward obviously it sounds like something that you want to continue to pursue, but just not like wholeheartedly. Like you want to continue to diversify your eggs and just find fulfillment in other areas of your life. Yeah. In starting the business, I had to have like no friends and no life because you do everything and you do so much. But now that like so much of the business is outsourced and really the hand it's hands off, essentially, I, you know, do social media emails and a lot of emails, but anyone could do that from anywhere. My way of running the business is kind of, the small business mindset that I started with and that, you know, I'm not going to force growth. I'm not going to influx it with all of this capital through venture capital and like force it onto a retail shelf. Fun fact, if, if you see a company start like on a retail shelf, they're literally putting free fills. Like they don't make money for so long. They're like, it's just crazy. I'm not doing that though. I want real money in my business. So I make real money through selling online, through selling on Amazon. And they're putting it in retailers like currently Home Goods, which is amazing that they want the product and they place purchase orders for the product and it's selling well there. So they continue to place purchase orders rather than, you know, I say, hey, Whole Foods, can you take like three 
pallets of date spreads for free and then they take them and it's not selling and I then discount it and I like lose money essentially running promotions and now having no margin. It's like, no, that's fake. I don't want to do that. Like my ego is, I mean, for some people, maybe it's ego. I don't have ego in that way. So I don't want to do it. I'll do it when it's real and real money. My business is more successful than a lot of companies, honestly, you see in Whole Foods. So on that topic, so you mentioned Amazon, obviously directly from your website and Home Goods. Are those the three main places that people can find one a date? Yeah, those are the three main places for sure. I have a store locator on my site, though, for like any kind of one-offs, small independent stores that do have it. Um, but good odds that the Home Goods near you has it, which is exciting. Yay. I'm going to actually go take a trip to mine. I have a couple in the immediate area, so I'm going to keep trying yeah, to find one. Yeah, but otherwise I sell it online. Um, always free shipping and 10% off any orders of four or more jars. So that's the best way to get it. And it should not be broken. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> oh my God. I know right? that you yeah. have a YouTube and that you showcase a lot of different ways. Because I was going to ask like, what are your favorite flavors and products? But honestly, I think it's just better off to kind of plug your YouTube and people can go right to your page and just see all of the different creations that you come up with. Cause I know you've also just launched a new like dough, right? You like add the water and yeah, just, you're able to kind yeah. of create the product at home, which sounds phenomenal. Yeah. The date, those are so cool. Um, I did that at this point. It's been like a year and a half. I cannot wait to try those too. Um, I have one more question for you before I let you go. And it's basically just, if you could leave somebody with a little, quick piece of advice who may want to be starting something, whether it be a new business venture um, or just to take a risk, what would you say? What would your piece of advice be having been through um, kind of your own journey and a lot of the hardships, but seeing the other side? You have to really have a stubbornness, grit, determination, and obsession um, when I had this idea for the date spreads like I can't the business quite frankly will never fail simply because like I can't live without my own products like I just want it to exist and I'll do whatever it takes to make it and keep it in existence so if you're just trying to think of something catchy and stupid and think you want to start a business no <laughs> save yourself the time the money the headache the energy and the waste of time if you then close it that's not what it's about. You shouldn't ever try to be starting a business. You should be doing what you're doing because you physically can't like not do it. I needed date spreads to be out there and I loved doing business. Business was my passion and like this company and figuring it out. I loved it. So you just have to be obsessed with what you're doing so that it never feels like work because it's going to become like really hard work after the kind of, naive and fun startup days are gone then it comes real work and you're really in it and there's no turning back so yeah you can't fake heart and I feel like when people are in it for the wrong reasons it will never last yeah well thank you so so much um I literally could have talked to you for hours and I have so many other questions but for the sake of time um 
I guess we'll just call it here, but I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time and just being open and honest kind of about your experience um, because for all the amazing things that you've done and the amazing point that one date is at right now, obviously that wouldn't have happened without, you know, all of the struggles along the way. So thanks for opening up about those. Thank you. You asked phenomenal questions. Oh, so, good. All right. Well, yeah. keep in touch and I will be placing some orders very shortly. Yay. Shout out to the Data's current obsession. I love them so much. Yes. They're I really be, good. Oh, I have no doubt. I'm going to be plugging in all of your information um, in the show, na- show notes. In the show Very notes. Nice. Um, but your Instagram for the company, is is it just Eat One of Dates or what is it? Yeah. The Instagram, the website handle, Facebook, it's all E-A-T, Eat One of Dates. Um, and you can find me, Melissa Barto, or want a date on youtube it's one of the same thanks to shark tank my face is it so perfect all right well thank you so much again thank you carly we'll talk soon yes bye